0: Welcome back, friends, nerds, librarians, to episode 58 of the SS Librarianship Podcast. We've got a nice, big, juicy one for you. I feel yeah. like we getting longer now that we're doing it fortnightly, which is, yeah. Which is good.
1: Yeah, we're so giving people more bang for their buck. Hopefully, eventually, we'll be giving you kind of the same amount of content that we'd be giving you if it was weekly, but, um, you know the workload's
0: not quite as hefty. <laughs> and it always depends on what we get into talking about, too. And this time we yeah. definitely got into two pretty hefty, really interesting conversations, yeah. which were a lot of fun for us. So hopefully sure. it'll be a lot of fun for you.
1: <laughs> yeah. So in the Mind Grapes, we uh, I'd say we spent most of the time talking about uh, Marvel's Daredevil. Absolutely. Um, yeah,
0: we got a couple other tidbits in there for you, too. But it's mostly a yeah. all Daredevil all the time. And it basically,
1: it's just me screaming about Charlie Cox's abs for like 25 <laughs> minutes. So... There's slightly
0: more nuance than
1: that. But Maybe. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 and then we've got uh, another nerd alert. We're starting to do more of those. Um, what about this time? All about DMing or dungeon mastering or, or game mastering, mastering whatever you want to call that. it. Sort of running a tabletop RPG for mm-hmm. your friends. Yeah. Or... Colleagues or other people who are interested in playing a game. We're sort of framing it as a thing that you could maybe do at your library potentially or facilitate other people doing. Absolutely. So uh,
1: we have, uh, you know, my wonderful husband and our sometime intern, sometime guest, John, um, of course, because he is one of the longest running and best DMs we know. So Uh he gives us a great conversation along with uh, Sam, who is running a game for the first time, Mm -hmm. um, about kind of how, how they've experienced gaming, how to get into it, so what are some of the do's and don'ts? How do you navigate those kinds of situations, worlds, uh, relationships, all that kind of stuff? So it's, it's a really, really interesting talk, especially if you are um, interested in gaming um, or are a gamer yourself. So,
0: But if you weren't, still stay tuned for that segment. Absolutely. it's a pretty interesting one, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess without further ado, then let's just get
1: this one started. I'm Allie Sullivan and Age of the Geek, baby. And I'm Sam Mills and...
0: Never trust anything that can think for itself if you can't see where it keeps its brain.
1: That's kind of my theory about jellyfish, to be perfect.
0: So, Allie? Hi. I ask as if I don't already know. Mm-hmm. What's on your mind, grips? Charlie Cox's abs?
1: <laughs> mostly. <laughs> Yeah. that's your big takeaway yeah yeah no. <laughs> no i mean we've been watching of course of course we've been watching daredevil mm-hmm. yeah who hasn't marvel's daredevil marvel's daredevil <laughs> and try uh, to tag it on facebook it has to be marvel's really? Daredevil. really that's awful <laughs> but apparently if you hashtag them their twitter account is pretty active like they'll talk back to you oh sweet so i'm afraid i'm afraid to to tweet too much about charlie cox's abs lest you find out yeah <laughs> I don't know. I would be mortified.
0: I, I realized. I'm sure you're about, not alone. <laughs> <laughs> I realized about two days ago that daredevil had truly made it when I started to come across head cannons for foggy Matt slash fiction. Oh man. <laughs> <Sure>. Already. <laughs> not that there's anything I, wrong I, with I, that, but I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: well, so tell us
0: about daredevil. Oh my God. Daredevil. So good.
1: So, um, there's a movie from about the year 2000 starring Ben Affleck uh, which is this amazing uh, masterpiece of cinema history. Yes. Oh God, it's it's so bad. But I remember really loving it at the time. Like, you know, 2000, I was like 13, 14. I feel like it was aimed particularly at my like my maturity intellectual development as a 13 year old I don't see, know see
0: I often forget about our age difference these days but that is exactly the moment at which our age difference was the broadest because I <laughs> yeah. would have been like 17 18 and I did not watch that movie
2: I did not know you liked this movie the when old I old.
0: was a kid What I not like I have watched it, it suddenly sins, Sam becomes the like, marriage oh counselor God. in this situation
2: <laughs> <laughs> no it's fine I just I just had no idea that's all well
1: like you know like but you know you watched you watch stuff when you were a kid and you're like oh, my God, sure. this is amazing. And then you watch it again, like, you know, 10 years later, and you're like, holy Ooh, crap. Oh,
2: boy. Yeah,
1: <laughs> what was this? I mean, there are a few movies that have held up for me over the years. Like, you know, I rewatched Mallrats recently. solid, solid B-plus movie. I love Mallrats. And, you know, like, I watched Troop Beverly Hills, which apparently I'm the only person in the world who watched this movie, but I loved the
0: crap out of it. And, yeah, totally holds up. Yeah, I'm getting like blank looks across. The table. My friend Andrew says that when he's worried that a movie isn't going to be very good and he's like too yeah. hyped up about it, he watches Daredevil or <laughs> <Yeah>. Electra first <laughs> yeah. and then like he's just so disgusted. His expectations that his, like, are so low. Yeah.
2: Just thinking about it, I feel like Wesley and Wilson Fisk make better slash fiction than Foggy and Daredevil. Wesley Ooh, is Wesley, right? Yeah. He's yeah. the right-hand yeah. man.
1: James Wesley. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. I got much, not that obviously there's a big buddy-buddy kind of like Kirk you know, Spock thing going on with Daredevil Yeah, No, no, no. Is,
0: the something going the, on the right. dynamic. It's like, like no. a Smithers Mr. Burns thing exactly going on
2: that, That's say. right. Exactly. It's a Smithers, it's 100% <laughs> that. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: <That's> exactly what <laughs> anyway, I was going to say. So we've talked about I'm the gonna shitty Daredevil. I'm going to go home Daredevil. and write that. No. Yeah, yeah,
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shitty Daredevil. All right. So, uh, I mean, Let's I think that was one. that was an attempt by Marvel, you know, before it was really Marvel. You know, to to kind of capitalize well, on before, this.
2: Well, before I mean, like let's be clear, Marvel as a, as a publisher had been around for ages. Well, some <laughs> like making like a Marvel mean. cinematic be, universe. Yeah, that's before, right. Before yeah. Marvel had ventured successfully into cinema.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, people have been saying that this this new
0: Netflix television series is Netflix even television. Spider Man was right around that time, though. Yep. So yeah, so they kind of knew how to do it. They just didn't, anyway. Well, so I continue.
2: Okay, but
1: I don't. But you, the question we have to ask ourselves is, who owned? Because this was before Marvel as a like as a film oh, producing so studio. Was right. that, yeah. So this is when you know. So who owned Daredevil?
0: I'm who sure actually made a visualization that? Visualization on the internet question. somewhere. Um, so yeah. We, yeah. Because you know that's mm. one of the big problems telling us about it, and I will find out. Okay. So it's uh,
2: my job normally.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In turn John is guest John today, yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, his Temporary responsibilities promotion. are are. Done different Wind, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah so it's a netflix series um, that uh, marvel turned to uh, it, it's kind of their foray into this sort of darker grittier sort of thing oh, was it 2003 really yeah okay then i was 16 and was had no say, excuse i was adding it up in my head
2: yeah um, yeah oh man but still
1: i have no excuse anymore oh, oh well um so uh, the the new series it's a it's, it's a little bit darker it's a little bit grittier and it which kind of like matches the daredevil aesthetic you know like he's um, he's saving the city from like a process of gentrification which is really really mm-hmm. interesting
0: and like a um, sort of a small like tangible part of the city right
1: yeah and so the i mean if you've been living under a rock and uh, you're not familiar with the with the superhero that is daredevil um, his uh, powers extend from a some kind of toxic goop incident uh, where he was blinded when he was nine or ten years old. Mm-hmm. Um, saving, like, uh, it's usually almost always shown in this kind of, like, he was doing something extremely altruistic. Like, I can't remember exactly what it was in the Ben Affleck movie, but in this one, it's, you know, he's he's pushing a man out of the way from getting hit by some kind of car, and the chemical gets in his eyes, he goes blind, but when he gets blinded, his other sentence, senses get, um, you know, heightened a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Usually, this is uh, you know. Usually, you hear it from sound, but I think that one of the really cool things that they do in this series is that they make it clear that it's not just the sound. It's it's the way it's the smells. It's the way the air moves. It's the way everything feels. Like it, it is kind of a heightened sensory thing. Like mm-hmm. in the terrible Ben Affleck movie, you know, you they actually show us like Daredevil vision. You know, where they have it like blue yeah. waves emanating from objects, yeah. which is one thing I think that's really cool in this movie. They, d- they They've never done very that. There was one very brief area yeah.
2: with, where they almost like, where they did the fire thing, where it's like, oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's as if the fire. world is on fire, which yeah. is sort of a hell
0: uh, That was schtick, a really... Right? great line I yeah it yeah is good. yeah but
1: like you know it was but that was the only time and it wasn't something that was important you know like it was yeah. what well,
0: was important but like
2: it wasn't important yeah. to like the action or something mm-hmm. like that yeah it's yeah. so not
0: important to his abilities is more important to the relationship yeah 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 discussed at that moment yeah. exactly so, who, who made the Daredevil movie? Uh, Marvel Enterprises was involved, okay. but it, before they had their own production company. So, it was also New Regency and something okay. called Horseshoe Bay. Wow. Okay. So, so, kind of like low-level production. Yeah, I feel like that might have been part of the problem okay
1: yeah because i mean spider-man was sony
0: <laughs> the budget famously. was because people love the kind of radio where you're just reading the <laughs> internet at them i will tell you that the budget was 78 million dollars oh god and the gross was four hundred and thirty one
1: thousand. Oh, oh wow man, that is hard <laughs>
2: Really, oh, poor
1: daredevil.
2: Huh. I almost thought that was got that that was a successful movie. <laughs>
0: Apparently not. Mm, I guess not. But People know about it because it was the whole like Affleck J era. Yeah, and yeah. So ben Affleck like, was we real know about it, point. like it's in the consciousness huh. because of Jigley and stuff like that. Like,
1: yeah. Yeah. Mm. So how how are how do we think that he's going to fare as another superhero? That is the question. I uh, mean, uh, oh. uh, sorry. We can talk oy, about the trailer oy, oy. for the new <laughs> Superman Batman <laughs> yeah. movie in a second. Um, we don't have to do that we don't have to do that I'm sure everyone has been to talked to death but um,
0: Daredevil has also been talked to death but it doesn't matter because it's awesome um, yeah that's so, worth yeah.
2: talking about
0: yeah well it's <laughs> funny we were talking the other day about the fact that like there hasn't actually been a ton of reviews and scholarship and stuff about it yet or mm. scholarship's the wrong word but like Criticism. there's been a lot
1: of popular uh, yeah. uh, you know a lot of popular writing a lot of popular talking yeah. about it um, but uh, I think it's it's great so uh, stars matt Murdock uh, and it does have some of his like backstory current story that kind of stuff um, but, like just enough yeah, yeah and and in addition to being you know a, a vigilante who's uh you know fighting the fighting the gentrification of the hills kitchen area of New york City um he's also an advocado mm-hmm. uh <laughs> he's he's a lawyer uh, um, and he and his uh partner uh his law partner and best friend foggy nelson are starting their own a law firm in Hell's Kitchen that's meant to kind of help the people who the law has kind of left behind.
0: Um, I'm thinking now too. I don't know if you guys have this feeling, but like I feel like part of why I loved it so immediately wasn't just that like he wasn't a rich billionaire, yeah. but also that he wasn't a teenager. Yeah. yeah. Like they're basically doing the same thing we're doing. Yeah? You know? <laughs> like which was kind of refreshing. When yeah, starting I mean, their like, careers. Going
1: through law school, I mean it used to take some time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's something that that's kind of One of the reasons I like the the, kind of the new superhero trend and one of the reasons I'm so disappointed in all the Spider-Man announcements we're getting right now um, is that, you know, we're going back to a teenage white Peter Parker, which is just like... Well,
2: a teenage Peter Parker makes more sense. I'm, you know, I don't... I think the race issue is pretty much silly. Like, yeah, you can have a black Peter Parker, it'd be great. But, like, the teenageness of Peter Parker is more important because he's traditionally been presented as a fairly young character. With a young sensibility. Mm-hmm. But Daredevil has not. Like, Daredevil yeah, Daredevil is,
1: is mature. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Comparatively. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, but it's awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so they're kind of the main the main conflict, of course, as they live in this uh, uh, kind of melting plot neighborhood, Hell's Kitchen. And, um, you know, it's it's an extremely um, ethnically diverse community, which is something I appreciate that they've kind of held on to. I mean um you have a lot of characters speaking Spanish. And one of the things I thought that was really cool is the fact that Matt Murdock and uh Karen uh they Paige. they Karen Page, they yeah. both they both speak at least a little bit of Spanish. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge attempt for them to like reach out to that community in that way. You know, like there's there's not an expectation that everyone's going to speak English, which is kinda lovely. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: They have Russian characters, Chinese characters, yeah. Japanese characters. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's it's very, very cool. And uh yeah, like, and, and some really badass female characters. Like, I mean, you're still going to fall into the trap with, you know, yeah, our three main characters are Matt, Foggy, and Karen. They're all white. Okay. But we've also got some really great um, ethnic female characters coming in. Uh, so we've got uh, Night Nurse, uh, who's, uh, you know, beloved kind of background character from the Marvel series. Mm-hmm. She shows up in a lot of different stuff, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so yeah. she's kind of like, you know, the the, the back alley doctor. Um, So when these vigilantes go out and get their asses kicked, they find her to get themselves patched up. I kind of
0: love that. There are, I was reading her backstory a while ago and there are some versions in which she is a doctor as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, played by Rosario Dawson,
1: who's Mm. just one of my probably like top five favorite actresses. She's just so wicked cool.
2: I didn't, I'm learning things about you. I didn't know that either.
1: Oh God, yeah. That
2: she was in like that. You liked. I mean, I like her too, but I didn't know you liked her that much. That's
1: well, I know she was in Rent and sure. uh, you know
0: the, oh, the yeah. Men in Black movie, and uh, <laughs> Lots of stuff, I believe yeah. the next example you're searching for is Clerks Two. Yeah, unfortunately, I was thinking that was Sin <laughs> City. <but laughs>
2: yeah, that's yeah, 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 this this whole like Daredevil made me think so much about Frank Miller and how weird he is, like, um, <laughs> yeah. because the show is so interesting like it's it's the old orson scott card problem i guess again because frank miller for those that don't know has gone kind of crazy over the last 15 years and is now like an arch conservative writing like islamophobic propaganda comics and did like, he
0: write a lot of the main Daredevil he stuff? he didn't invent daredevil yeah. but
2: he um really reinvented him and mm-hmm. large swaths of the like daredevil mythos that we know now like core elements um like Stick, for example, are yeah. his inventions. Mm-hmm. Um, and the so.
0: tone of this show, the look of it, the tone of it, the, <sighs> the intensity color that, yeah. of it, and even, yeah, the colors definitely feels like Frank Miller.
2: Very Frank Miller, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the best possible way. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, no, I mean, I'm definitely Violet. Like, if you haven't watched it yet, and you do have yeah. a bit yeah. of a weak stomach, Great. like be warned, but it's not... Not gratuitous is not the right phrase, <laughs> but I felt like it wasn't... Like it wasn't over the top gratuitous in ways that didn't have to do with what was happening. So yeah, yeah. I would like, say
2: that's the definition of gratuitous. But that's, like I'm yeah. someone who enjoys a lot of violence. Yeah. But, but like, I
0: didn't, I mean, I don't. Like I walked sure. out of Watchmen because I couldn't handle some of it. Sure. Mm. Um, even having read the books. But <laughs> uh, but I didn't find any of the violence in this. I found some of it uncomfortable, but like yeah. it still felt like it's part important. of the story. And yeah. It yeah. Important. Which is, yeah. like
2: I would say, mm. uh, is the definition of something mm. not being gratuitous. Right? Maybe
0: I'm using the Phrase. Yeah no yeah. I see
2: what you're saying like it's it wasn't you're saying it was very intense it was very in your
0: face it was intense, brutal but it mm-hmm. yeah. worked really it's well. incredibly
2: violent but yeah. it, like all of the violence was tethered to the story in a way that made sense and moved it forward yeah mm-hmm. in ways that made, yeah it's not and, and like
1: shocked you when you needed to be shocked about something like it did the violence did set a certain tone I think that yeah. that is really important um, you know like the way that characters use violence is extremely important in 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 the show um, mm-hmm. and. You know, the, the kinds of violence that certain characters use. Yeah. Um, you know, like, yeah. we, we see a lot of characters being violent, but the way that they're violent makes makes them very important. Like, it's an important part of their character. Like, I don't want to spoil it too much because it's so amazing. But, like, so the main villain is uh, Wilson Fisk, who is a uh, super rich guy who wants to basically gentrify Hell's Kitchen and uh, is doing so in some questionable ways Mm -hmm. um and you know so so daredevil makes it his mission to kind of stop this guy and like the way that uh, the way that Daredevil uses violence and the way that Fisk uses violence and the way that even Karen uses violence yeah, and the way that you know his father his father uses violence and and you know cuz yeah, cuz both uh, of their fathers Stick uses really? vi- like the all the, like, like you can i think that you can do a really sophisticated analysis of character from their relationship to
0: and their use of violence absolutely mm-hmm. so and that that's <laughs> i have not felt the urge to write a paper in a while like yeah. i decided <laughs> a, Long like ago, like critical that I was Didn't not an academic in that right way. <laughs> this makes me want to write one yeah. about like masculinity and childhood trauma, and and Fisk was the thing I loved most about this show. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hated him because you're supposed to hate him, but he was the thing that really kept me go- like wanting to know what was going to happen next. Yeah, because mm-hmm. his character is just so. <sighs> I mean he's drawn in really broad strokes and a lot of his backstory is very sort of stereotypical like mm-hmm. trauma moulds someone into the person sure. that they are but mm-hmm. it was just so well done like Vincent D'Onofrio's performance was amazing yeah. And yeah his his terrifyingness didn't come from his plans for Hell's Kitchen or even the violent ways he was going about those plans yeah but From his his like the fact that he really in a lot of ways is still a twelve year old kid who's afraid of his father, Mm -hmm. like that's what made him scary because a twelve year old kid doesn't know when to stop. Yeah,
2: (laughs) yeah. I didn't find him hateable. I found him sad and scary, but not very hateable. Yeah, that's
0: a good description: sad and scary. Yeah, yeah.
1: So um, overall, I mean, I know we've had some friends who've had some criticism of it, um, but
2: I didn't know that. But. Uh, I, we'll awesome. talk.
1: We can talk about it later. Um, <laughs> but, Out these um, people right now on the air. Name
2: names. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Can't make it. Um, um, But you know what? For my money, I thought it was super enjoyable. Yeah. Um, you know, it's I love Karen too. Can oh, Karen. Can I jump in yeah, know Karen really is great. an amazing character. And you know what I even love I really uh, more about it. Karen is I love Deborah Ann Wolf um, because yeah. I have read a lot of the stuff that because she's been like. I mean like uh, the actors who play like Charlie Cox and I haven't and the guy who plays Foggy like I haven't seen them talk a lot about Mm. the roles they're playing like I haven't seen a lot of their press junket stuff I feel like uh, Deborah Ann Wolfe is like she is killing the press junket right now like she's been she's been talking about it and she's been talking about the character of Karen Page and how how they've tried to mold her in this particular iteration of Daredevil because apparently in the comics she
0: really is just a girlfriend most of the time is my understanding
1: well my understanding is that not necessarily that she's just a girlfriend most of the time, but my understanding is also that, like, depending on who's writing, she's a completely different character. Like, sometimes she is this totally, like, demure, um, you know, kind of reserved girlfriend character. Other times, she's, like, uh, shooting up hooker who, you know, so like they're, right. they're just the disparity of the characters, and they like to paint her as either the virgin or the whore, and she was like, we really want to make this Karen kind of a realistic portrayal yeah.
0: of who this character is and where she comes from. So I wonder if some of the layers that get peeled back a little were almost a nod to that, like sort I sort of a, so. if you know the comics, you don't know what we're doing here. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: At least that's what I've heard, like I said, I haven't read a lot of the you know the backstory, but like that's what Deborah N. Wolf has been talking about, and I think she's been talking about it in a super intelligent way. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's been doing a lot of interviews, and, and, and stuff so she's really really cool she's killing it yeah yeah totally
2: yeah what i think it's cool about um daredevil versus like a lot of the characters um is that he's like a class underdog you know what i mean mm. yeah. like he's got a rags to riches he comes from a poor like but Irish not even
1: but not even rags to riches to like
0: shinier well rags almost.
2: okay yeah that's true <laughs> well to riches in the sense that he's like this incredibly powerful person and he could have taken the um the mm-hmm. job uh, yeah, yeah, he could have he could have chosen yeah. the money I mean, yeah. where did, where does he go for school? It's somewhere It's New York University well, or something Didn't he
1: go to Colum- in either NYU or Columbia Yeah, it was one he of goes the- to a
2: good school Like yeah. he's not, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and he and, he and Foggy As come from As opposed to
2: like Iron Man or Batman or Thor for that matter yeah. Or mo- like all of these people who are born into yeah. Uh, positions of power or something like
0: that. Well, and even that. even it's him relatable on a human level and then his neighborhood and his community are relatable on this sort of human level. Like, it's so yeah. small. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: like Peter Parker comes from, you know, humble beginnings, but I, I feel like Peter Parker never rises to, to yeah. enviable social or economic status.
2: And Peter Parker feels like he comes from a very middle-class family to me. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? He's okay. his two parents, or his two um, his not his about two to parents. say <laughs> uh, his. Um, you know what I mean? His yeah. and an uncle. Um, like I don't know. They always felt more like middle yeah, class. They own a house.
0: They're able to. Yeah. Take them in. Okay. they felt
2: more like Clark Kent's. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that kind of st- mm-hmm. like outside the city suburban. Yeah, that okay. kind of Thing. I mean, I see what you're Which saying. Which makes though. the
0: fact that he's always scrambling to make a living in his like 20s and 30s sort of interesting. I
2: do get. I, I do get what you're saying in the sense yeah. that he's not bruce wayne like and he's not tony stark he's absolutely he's not from some crazy position of like everything's been handed to him or something that's true i agree with that but daredevil really comes from very like he's
0: super humble beginnings yeah the humblest Mm -hmm. yeah yeah which which maybe is part of why i didn't love the part where he like finally got his suit like it <laughs> oh, really? bothered me huh. i love the yeah. process of him getting the suit I mean, yeah the character that makes the suit for him actually fascinating i really really love that i want sure. to know that guy's kind of story like there's man. yet another sort of like i don't know strong violent male with sort of layers to the character who like may yeah. or may not have some yeah. like savant mental retardation kind of, issues yeah. but is this incredible like workman and like yeah, it's
2: he was yeah, really he's, interesting too. He's like um Fox from Batman, except not in every single way. Like mm-hmm. he's the you know oh I'm the gadget guy, but not at all what you would expect from a gadget guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And again, someone who's very childlike and sees the world in this sort of black and white, like you know. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unusual character.
0: Yeah. Well.
1: Presumably, we'll see
0: more. But he kind of he kind of
1: needed the body armor though.
0: Oh Got no no I <laughs> <He> liked <laughs> all of the like have you ever heard of Kevlar <laughs> sure. directed his way. But, Do, are you um, saying
2: you just didn't like the costume?
0: No, no, the costume's fine. I d- <laughs> okay, here we go. I'm outing myself. Okay? Yeah, yeah. I loved every single episode of Daredevil except the last one. And I won't oh, yeah. say too much about why. Okay. But huh. um it felt to me like a slightly less like I don't know, less well done, less nuanced version of those episodes you always get when Joss Whedon steps in to direct himself of his shows. Uh, because that's what happened with that last episode. Drew Goddard stepped in to direct. right? Mm. And I felt like I could really feel his hand being like, well, we need this and this and this in place before we wrap this season up. Right. Yeah, okay. And that huh. sort of bothered me. Like It felt like the entire season had been so, original in structure and the characters had had all these unexpected layers to them and yeah. their relationships had been unexpected. And then suddenly we were having to like, well, we have to hit these three notes because this is a superhero character.
2: Sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. I don't know. <laughs> I guess it depends. Yeah. How much do you like that stuff?
0: Mm,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I see what you're saying though.
1: But I can kind of see why they did it as well because eventually oh, yeah. he is going to have to merge it. needed the moment universes. on the rooftop. Yeah, but like, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But it was also for annoying, yeah. I guess for some people. <laughs> no, I see what you're saying.
1: That said, watch it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely worth it. Well, I think we've got a little bit more time. Do we want to. You guys want to chuck something in? Yeah, I mean, I mean
0: we, we knew that was going to oh, happen. Plus, like, uh, yeah. plus,
1: you know, I mean, abs. Uh huh. I'm sorry. He is very. I have pretty. a type. Well, I it's interesting that, that like,
2: you know, he is like an appealing person, but he's also not your typical built. Like, he's not Chris Evans or Chris Hemsworth. You know, like he's, um, like leaner and scruffy, vulnerable, but is scruffy, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm sort of a sad figure in like, some ways too. More of a too, s- yeah. like
2: sad, sexy puppy dog.
0: You, <laughs> you know say that I mean? like it's a bad thing. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> you think anybody has that URL on Tumblr?
2: <laughs> sad, sexy puppy dog. <laughs> don't type that in. I don't know. You could get to some strange. On. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: oh well, Sam
1: or right, John. What about you? If you have you been doing anything else besides? Uh,
2: yeah, it's going to exasperate you, but you know what? I, I think you know what I'm going to talk about.
1: Oh, yeah. I don't know why I have such a weird aversion. Yeah, to so,
2: yeah, um, I recently, uh, because I guess I live under a rock, because um, everyone else I found know. this way earlier than me, and, uh, and suddenly, In fact, we've
1: talked about it on the podcast. And suddenly How? I
2: realized it's the thing. Yeah, you
1: used it as a mine grapes a while ago.
2: Oh, I don't know if, you, if Sam did. I, oh. I looked through oh. it. And I don't think I did. I, like oh, no, I you did didn't. the old Control-F. Like, is this going to be okay for me to talk about?
0: I added a talk about? this week. I'll talk oh, okay.
2: About it. God, so I've started listening, well, started and finished listening to the podcast Serial, uh, yeah. which is amazingly good. And everyone should listen to it because it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, like I say... I'm sure most people know what it is because I, I was listening to the um, White House press correspondence dinner and someone mentioned it. Yeah. So that's how big this that's, thing yeah, that's... is. Like, I'm not, this is not some esoteric thing that I've uncovered, <laughs> some tidbit for, like, <laughs> you know, uh, it's well known. But if yeah. you don't know what it is, Serial is really good. It's a um, single story told week by week um, by journalist uh, Sarah uh, Koenig. Mm-hmm. I think
0: you may actually have just said the tagline verbatim.
2: Oh, yeah, a single story told (laughs) week by week. Well, I listened to all 12 episodes within the space of about three days
0: um,
2: (laughs) on the bus or at home or whatever. Um, So the premise of it is um, it's investigating a murder uh, that happened in 1999 um, of Heyman Lee, for which her ex-boyfriend, Adnan Syed, was uh, convicted. Tried uh, and convicted. Tried and convicted. Um, and has spent the last 16 years in prison uh, for that crime. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a number of details about um, both the crime and the conviction that raise a few eyebrows. And the for, process in between. And the process, yeah. The way the police constructed the case, um, the way he was tried. It's an incredibly messy um, an incredibly messy crime and an incredibly messy process to conviction. It happened in uh, Baltimore, Maryland um and yeah like for example there's absolutely no physical evidence at all really uh tying him to the crime he's basically convicted on the testimony of a single witness um it's a pretty compelling testimony but it's um also dubious for various reasons mm-hmm. uh the story shifts around quite a bit um and uh the the witness against him jay wilds recently gave an interview um, you I
0: haven't know. heard that yet. Yeah, I listened I, to it as it was being released, and I haven't really gone back. It
2: came since. after, because she yeah. reached out to Jay during the podcast, and he, he spoke He yeah. spoke to them but didn't speak on the podcast, mm-hmm. but then he gave an interview later, basically you know reiterating his testimony and saying, oh, Adnan, 100% is guilty. Um, mm-hmm. But if you read that version, it's also different from the version he offered at both trials and also... So the, there are three now? There are at least... <laughs> four I think versions mm-hmm. or five versions of his testimony which isn't just like that's not to say that he's completely discreditable like of course sh- details are going to shift mm-hmm. uh, of, over the course of 16 years over the, trying to remember I mean she begins the podcast by saying it's incredibly difficult to keep track of your time to account for your time you know mm-hmm. try remembering what you did last Wednesday um, or that's something along hook. those which is a great hook and it's nearly impossible especially if it's you know let alone last week but six weeks ago Um, so you know to a certain extent some of the discrepancies can be put down to like faults in Jay's memory or something but then others I mean Jay was uh, pled guilty to accessory after the fact and um, said that he helped Adnan bury Min Lee Um, but um, he essentially enters the crime as it were by picking Adnan up and seeing the body uh, in the back of um Hayes' car. Um, well, according to his testimony. Um, so, but the location at which he he met Adnan has changed several times. It's in, one time it's off Edmondson Avenue, one time it's in the Best Buy parking lot. More recently, he suggested it. It was at his grandmother's house or something like that. So there's all sorts of different shifting details. And she goes through this, um, a different aspect of the case each week. So, motive or Jay's testimony or um, the defense and how that was um, done. Really
0: weirdly.
2: Handled or mishandled, depending no. on your point of view. Um, she has a, I think her reading is really uh, a strong one, but yeah, the lawyer who handled the case was probably unwell at the time. She mm-hmm. died a few years later, and that may have complicated how she handled it.
0: And then um, she goes in as well to some of the cultural aspects too, mm-hmm. right? I mean, both Hay and Adnan were were the first generation Americans, and that's right. Had sort of fraught relationships with their parents, yeah. in terms of Their own relationships, and that was and, I yeah. mean that
2: was key to the prosecution's case, which was to allege that Adnan, um, as a good Muslim boy who wasn't allowed to date, had he'd kept his the relationship um, with Hay secret, mm-hmm. and then when she had dumped him, he. The prosecution painted this as well. He'd snapped. he put everything on the line. He'd lied to his parents. Um, how dare she betray him? And then you know, took revenge. Um, That—that's the core of their their case. The core of their motive. So yeah, culture and religion plays a huge role. There's an episode role.
0: where they like they discuss in detail sort of the men in his community. And am I remembering this right?
2: Uh, well, there's let's see. There's an episode where they talk about um, like rumors about him. Oh and yeah things yeah, like that's that. It. Yeah. Um specifically rumors that he actually confirms because one of the core elements of the podcast is that Adnan is constantly speaking to Sarah and the viewer or the listener rather um from prison through phone calls but he admits to having skimmed from the mosque collection plate like right. he actually That's what I'm he will he fesses up to that pati- I and mean, he's quite annoyed when Sarah brings it up because obviously it doesn't exactly paint him in a good light um but you know while he maintains his innocence completely when it comes to Haman Lee he does fess up to, to skimming from the mosque so there is that episode is that the right. one you're thinking probably. of probably yeah yeah yeah. And so it, some
0: issues around like whether or not he could have escaped to Pakistan or something. Oh,
2: yeah. right. Well, yeah. because he didn't get bail posted, right? Okay. And so and the reason was that um, the prosecution suggested He was that, a flight risk. Yeah, essentially that he had this huge right. community based
0: on the fact mm-hmm. that he was Pakistani and part of That's this right. community. That's right. And if part this of this, is this, is this what huge I community. When, yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So she doesn't shy away from those aspects either. Not at just, all. Yeah.
2: So it's totally engrossing. I yeah. mean, it's the most and you I I think she goes back and forth a lot, and I went back and forth a lot, and I think any I would challenge anyone to maintain a stable position yeah. on his, um, on how they feel about Adnan's guilt, whether he should have been convicted, which are, are potentially different things um, throughout the whole thing. You really go back and forth quite a bit over the course of the podcast, so it's really fascinating.
0: Yeah, yeah. like the structure and the the experts that are brought in and whatever sort of yeah. swing you. Yeah, it's, it's yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's really fascinating. Yeah.
0: I think
1: I kind of feel the same way about Serial as I feel about, like, uh, House of Cards, where, like, when it was really popular and everyone was telling me to watch it, I was like, no, I'm not going to watch it. It sounds stupid. I don't <laughs> want to. Um, but I'll probably eventually listen to it. And I think it's also that kind of, like, um, you know, like, when you're someone who is very interested in a media format that isn't super popular, like the podcast, mm-hmm. when all of a sudden everybody likes podcasts, you're kind of like, oh, my God, these have been around forever. You
0: guys are so lame. Okay, you know what? I think the thing you're remembering when you said that we talked about it on the podcast is I think I mentioned at one point how annoyed I was about all of that because I was really enjoying cereal, but Mm -hmm. I was enjoying it as the thing that I had discovered through... The fact that I listened to This American Life Mm. which is a professionally produced NPR radio show with like you know not a ton of funding because it's NPR but it has money Mm -hmm. um, and good production values and Sarah Koenig works with them sometimes and the first episode of Serial aired as an episode of This This American American Life and then suddenly it's being heralded as this like quite rightly critically acclaimed but as this bastion of the new era of podcasting and like the most successful podcast ever and like it's not really a podcast like it's skipping the radio, like physically, yeah. but it's still a radio show. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, that's and it was, true. And it
1: was still like I don't know. Podcasts are such like a grassroots kind of thing to me. Sometimes,
2: well, I guess but, the thing I is that like it got it's, my haggles up a little. Right it's, or it's s- <laughs> wrong. The success of um like it didn't start as this huge phenomena. It started. Yeah, on This American Life quite quietly. And it's
0: kind of a risky spinoff. They've but, never done a yeah. spinoff before. But so This American true. Life is, isn't is a little thing. like. Well, I guess. It's but, not in our circles, but in broad strokes, in know. terms of mainstream
2: media. I don't know. I feel points. like radio in general isn't that big a deal anymore. Uh,
0: I'll, I'll probably listen to it eventually.
1: <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: Do you get annoyed by Night Vale for the same reasons?
1: Yes and
0: No. Um, Nayville wasn't affiliated with anything like. But it started. yeah, no, but no, Ni- no. feel's not yeah, affiliated with anything. But which it's is a why huge I'm, I'm okay
2: podcast that has made podcasting way more popular.
0: But it's a like it's. But it's it's legit a podcast that started yeah, from nothing. It started from nothing. <laughs>
2: oh, okay, I see.
0: I think my objection is like.
2: So you have a sort of punk garage band objection.
0: <laughs> Like, oh my
2: it's, God, only, it's only know. good music if they don't know how to play their instruments is what you're saying hey what are you implying exactly like I mean if they're self taught grassroots they have no support from any other outside institutions I think
0: they <laughs> never had to troll eBay for rock band mics okay yeah, yeah. Uh, all I'm pointing out is they had an advantage
2: Sure. It's and like so, it's like
1: Aragorn. You hate the Aragorn or whatever the that book that twelve year old wrote. You hate yeah. that book because his parents are publishers and they gave him no, up.
2: I hate it because it's rubbish. <laughs> I, <laughs> the fact that it got like I, I read it and it was like this is such rubbish and then I was like, Oh, it was published because his parents had I'm sorry, I'm sure. No offense, Christopher and I'm sure you're a great person. And many He definitely people listens. Folks. Oh, yeah. He's 100%. our number one fan. I know. He listens to this every day. <laughs> but, like, Aragon fans, don't freak out. But I'm not a big fan of Aragon. But it was more that I found out about the publishing later and I'm like oh this explains why this terrible thing managed to get so big because he had someone <laughs> do all the work for him and like, like it wasn't yeah. it had
0: nothing to do with Koenig or with the show like I love no. the show I love Koenig I love this American life it had to do with the, the media sort of suddenly being like oh podcasts that's yeah. a thing like
2: yeah so I, I guess maybe I missed this entirely like because it was widely
0: heralded as the most successful podcast of all time and it was making podcasting mainstream and like that's not exactly what was happening and now podcasts I think have like faded back into obscurity like
1: I think people are not obscurity but like people are going to look at podcasts (laughs) as like it was a flash in the pan with cereal and then I'm really curious all the troglodytes Uh, went back I'm about to start um, I don't know I'm
0: about to start developing and teaching the um courses on podcasting at the new inspiration lab at vpl yeah. over yeah. the next few months and i'm i'm gonna be really curious to see how many people come to the what's a podcast anyway of course because they somehow heard about Serial because it yeah. was being right. reported in the huffington post and on nbc and whatever right, right. i don't know and I, being spoofed on saturday night live sp- and at the white house saturday Press night correspondence night dinner
2: <laughs> i only got a brief mention there yeah. but yeah but um i don't know i feel like podcasts are kind of a big deal now like uh, well, Night Vale, even though it started from Humble Roots, it's a huge deal and a major cultural phenomenon mm-hmm. that tons Nightville, of people yeah. reference. Like, and a novel's being published and they're yep. doing live shows. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. I feel like podcasts are kind of here to stay, that they're like a part of the media landscape. They're
1: absolutely now. here <laughs> like, to stay, but I here think here to it's stay, the, but here to stay in that they've also been around for 15 years.
2: Right. But I feel like they've. I mean, I mean, here to stay in the mainstream. I mean, like, they've mm-hmm. achieved mainstream status, but I don't think there'll be a flash in the pan, I so guess. So you think we'll
1: get mainstream status eventually? <laughs> what do you I
2: mean? I don't
0: think we necessarily... Christopher
2: Paolini listens to your <laughs> podcast, guys. How much more mainstream can you get? <laughs> I
0: don't even know if we necessarily deserve mainstream status. I'm just saying. It's, you know, it, it is the punk DIY aesthetic. It absolutely is. But I, I own it. I need some of those podcast dollars. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by Audible. No, it's
1: not. Don't <laughs>
0: say things like that. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they will give us. <laughs> You'll have to pay them. That's not the way we That's want this to we want this to happen. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sam, do you want to take us home with something? Uh, yeah, mine will be very, very brief. Um, you should check out Backstrom if you haven't already. It's super fun. <laughs> Rain Wilson. Wilson
2: is a detective, right? Rain
0: Wilson yeah. as a detective. It's you know, It's quirky. It's like... I don't like sort of um procedurals. Yeah. Like I'm not yeah. really a big fan of the I like, love them. You know. But um but I'm really really enjoying Backstrom. He's what, a really interesting character.
2: What would be your shitty X meets Y for Daystrom? Like it's this yeah, meets yeah, yeah. this. Yeah, I'm actually I'm
0: thinking about that right now and it's definitely something like um there's a little pushing daisies in there. Ooh. Ooh. Like, just sort of in terms of the relationships between the characters and the quirkiness and sort of <laughs> sadness of Backstrom himself. Uh, basically, the, the premise is: Rain Wilson is a. Uh, Um, really brilliant detective um, who for a while had stopped working because of health problems slash mental health problems and then had been relegated to the traffic division for a little while and was pretty (laughs) unhappy but and then uh, his ex-partner who knew that despite his curmudgeonliness and his off the book ways of doing things, and whatever that he's actually really brilliant. And so she makes him her lieutenant when she makes captain. And uh, he gets to head up this special crimes unit, which is, you know, hmm. a TV way of getting them to have interesting crimes every week. Right. But um, it's a really interesting ensemble. I really like all the characters. Uh, and he is just so. The only thing that would make him better for me would be if he was a woman. Next <laughs> yeah. thing I want to see, Brad Wilson. A, the next thing I want to see is a is a female character exactly like the character he's playing, because he's like doesn't take very good care of himself Mm. is angry, has issues with his family um, is brilliant at what he does but uh, quite a sad figure, is struggling with mental Uh. health issues is having to check in with the precinct doctor every week who's doing things like writing him prescriptions to make a friend and uh, and I feel like we still haven't seen a woman like that. At least we're seeing some of those issues explored.
2: Having a female protagonist is difficult in TV. Having a non-sexy female Protagonist, yeah. or like a non-traditionally sexy female protagonist, well, even and a bigger also, thing. The you fact
0: know? that um, Sarah Chalk shows up as an ex of his yeah. oh. and is still kind of attracted to him would be yeah. an interesting reversal to see. To
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. The deck is stacked uh, against this situation. Yeah. But that's really sad. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, but no, it's really the the cases are really interesting. They're um, the show's set in Portland and filmed in Vancouver, so very oh, recognizable huh. to all of us. Yeah, I almost ran into Rain Wilson at VPL. Like, like, and by ran into, I mean like physically.
1: Like, yeah. Almost like ran face first into him. (laughs) And then I had like a geek
0: out moment for like five minutes in the elevator. I find I'm not as annoyed by recognizing the locations as I was when I watched like, Fringe or Battlestar or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the cases are always really interesting. Um, a couple of them already have been sort of around like subcultures that you might only see in a place like Portland, which has been interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Or uh,
2: Vancouver, for yeah. that matter.
0: Like the Artisan Pickle Murders? Not yet, but I'm sure <laughs> it's coming. Oh, like, there was one about performance artists that was really interesting. There's a shame And uh, one about transvestites that was really interesting Mm -hmm. I think there's an episode of Bones where there actually is an artisan pickle murder
2: (laughs) that makes sense there are enough
0: episodes of Bones (laughs) Bones is
2: running out of ways to kill
0: people (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and uh oh and I just watched one that was about a pipeline bombing by like huh. Luke right. so that was really interesting too. Interesting. Yeah, um, so I, I really, I'm really enjoying his performance. It's like the polar opposite of Dwight, and uh, I'm really impressed by the writing so polar far. Opposite yeah, Dwight. he has this great little, you know, every every TV detective has to have a thing, right? And mm-hmm. his thing is, I'm you. And then he goes on to describe sort of what that means and figures out huh. your motive out loud this while This sounds really to good.
1: You. Oh, awesome! check it out.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, definitely check it so out. So it's like
2: Will Graham, but like <laughs> I haven't less watched pretentious. enough to get
0: that reference. Oh, it's oh. Hannibal? Yeah.
2: And Hannibal, his shtick, his like his detective super superpower, is that he's... He's um, like super
0: empathetic, He's right? Yeah, he's super yeah.
2: empathetic. He kind of becomes the killer. So he... Mm-hmm. he yeah kind of retrocognitively replace the crime but places himself in the killer's shoes and of course all sorts of lovely like identity crises crop up everyone's I constantly feel like
0: being like "This is a less terrifying and more relatable yeah. version of that well I mean it sounds I,
2: like more realistic I blogged the
0: other day that like I'm finding myself re- relating to Backstrom maybe a little too much but like yeah. the way they're exploring <laughs> his anxiety issues and the way they're affecting his physical health I find really interesting yeah. you still haven't seen that too much on and TV
2: as great as Hannibal is it is not a realistic portrayal of anything <laughs> yeah. ever like it's a brilliant <laughs> completely kooky universe where nothing makes sense at all so yeah. i think
0: there's there's 13 episodes of daredevil there's yeah. about 13 episodes now of backstrom yeah and there's 12 and 13 episodes of series. So i think so you it's could, 12 like you could round get on it. In.
2: yeah
1: <laughs> so this week we have our second ever nerd alert
0: alert nerd right. also i'm pretty sure it's our third yeah, yes i push I, I my glasses up my nose i, I oh, think God. so I i'm so wrong. bad at and, this and podcast guys we'll totally forgive her She's you know like what hopped up on cold meds <laughs> powered by <laughs> <Inquil>. <laughs> that's me
1: um cool yeah so uh we're actually going to talk a little bit about uh being a game manager being a dm um how that's you know how how you can do it so we've actually been hearing from some uh, listeners and stuff uh, and talking about a lot of these libraries that are wanting to put together some uh, tabletop role play clubs Um, you know the board game night in the library is uh, becoming fairly well established at Mm -hmm, this point yeah it's really popular yeah and but there's also a lot of people who are trying to institute this kind of great collective storytelling operation that is tabletop role play so things like Dungeons and Dragons Pathfinder um, you know a lot of other games you can get into uh so we thought we would just talk to our resident you know gm expert sure in uh (laughs) in john newell um (laughs) who's who ran a game for us for about three years and before coming to us has run like how many how many games do you think Mm. you've actually run in your lifetime
0: like you can ballpark it
2: i'd say maybe six or seven
0: only that many like in-person games
2: uh, like that, I've run? Yeah, personally? like how many,
0: how many games have you run?
2: Yeah, yeah, I'd say I've probably run six or seven different games, right?
1: Okay. Well, I meant like campaigns. Like how many yeah, campaigns? Yeah, 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 that's run? what I mean. Okay. Yeah.
2: I mean, how many? Because have done
1: those, some online
0: as those,
2: well. Too. Oh, well, yeah, I'm, that's true. Now that I'm thinking, what I was about thinking about it. Yeah, like all of a sudden, I'm sure about you've it. done at least that, that many online campaigns. Yeah, one, two, three, four, five... Probably like 12, mm. I guess. I wasn't even c- counting online, but I totally yeah. should. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because I mean, those take a lot of work as well, I'm sure. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, we've got kind of a, a veteran GM on our hands here. And then uh, while you're taking a break, uh, from game running to work on stuff. Sam has actually been uh, running a new game for our mm-hmm. uh, little gaming I think gaming I've overseen group. like four whole sessions now? Five sessions? Four. Four deep, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's a, it's a Star Trek role-playing game. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, an older kind of we have these like crazy books that are available online as uh, PDFs that are really impossible to navigate. Yeah. Um, but it's you know it's a really interesting system and it's it's kind of fun to be playing a game in a world that so many of us already know a lot about. Yes. Because um, like one of the things that was lovely about um, the game, the Planescape game that we were running with John, is that none of us had, a lot of us either hadn't played any uh, tabletop RPGs before or we'd played very little. Yeah. Um, there was a uh, one or two people who were usually veterans kind of in the group who can kind of help lead us through. But, um, you know, we were all exploring a world about which we knew very little. Uh, whereas in Star Trek, you know, I'm a I would say I'm like a mild to medium Trekkie. Like I know a lot of stuff, but I'm not, you know, as ingrained in it. But we've also got a couple people in the group who are, uh, you know, like fully entrenched Trek fans who know a lot about the mythology and a lot about the world. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting
0: kind of to look at the games from these two perspectives um, well, that was definitely why I picked that game too because I knew that I, I was doing it for the first time I was doing it with new rules we'd never used yeah. but at least I knew the world yeah right?
2: yeah
1: really helpful
0: yeah so uh, we thought we'd start with like this kind
1: of like uh, cool general conversation about uh, libraries and gaming um, if you want st- to like we can I don't know if we can give you a lot of like logistics kind of what you what you need is uh, you know you need some dice you need some pen and paper you need some preparatory notes if you're going to be running a game yeah. um you need players of course um so like what what would you say are the kind of like the things that you need if you wanted to start running a game like you don't need a lot like it's not yeah, very it's not a very intensive. high-tech
2: game at all yeah um the opposite um, having a laptop helps if you're... Because there's a lot of rule sets on, that are free online. Mm-hmm. But if not, then just the books um, are usually the only major purchase you have to make. Yeah. Um, and I almost feel like some of the games we play wouldn't be good for complete neophytes. So they're fine if you have a, a dungeon master or a referee or game master, whatever your chosen nomenclature, if they know the rules and can introduce them to everyone. I think that a more complex game like Pathfinder... Um, would be fine but if you're starting out I feel something actually more like D&D 5 um, mm-hmm. might be better
0: yes I am learning that yeah or <laughs>
2: um, have you
0: played d 5 yet no I'm just no, I'm, I mean, I'm hearing about DD 5 and how um, streamlined the mechanics are as yeah. I'm struggling with the 10,000 like mechanics tables in this Star yeah. Trek system yeah, <laughs> yeah
2: yeah it's sort of because that system is I think fairly obviously a like um, hack of third edition, hmm. which is also what Pathfinder was based on.
0: Yeah, and so like some of the basic, um, you know, when you hit an obstacle and have to do a thing, like yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. It's just the finding the details of the there's, mechanics. There's right?
2: a whole bunch that are really simple to learn. Like fate is really simple to learn. D and five is pretty good. Some of the older versions of D and D are pretty easy. Um, mm-hmm. Frankly. Um, And some of those are free as well online. There's one version called Osric, S O S R I C, um, that is completely free online. There's another really good one. You can get a free version of it called Lamentations of the Flame Princess. It's really good. So, like, simple games, I think. If you're not, if you're a rookie, gm if you're a rookie at running a game maybe we should say a little bit about what that even is
0: yeah, like yeah. i feel like um in terms of like what what an rpg is we can throw some stuff in the show notes we can throw that amazing idea channel yeah. in the show notes yeah, but totally. um, but maybe like what what is the role of the gm would be a good place to start yeah
2: so like what do like, you see that as? i mean this is pretty basic stuff but essentially um if you're the um Dungeon Master, as it's usually called, you're the player who doesn't have a character. So the whole idea of a role-playing game is that everyone around the table has a character, and that you represent that character, and you play that character, and you have a sheet that represents that character in a series of statistics. Generally speaking, not every game has it, but most do, that tell you, you know, how good you are at certain things. If you're good at fighting or casting spells or hacking into computers or whatever the given game world calls for. But then there's one player who's aloof from the others, in a sense, because they don't play a character. They play the world and all the non-player characters. And they're the one usually who've designed the adventure or the scenario, who have thought through the story, um, or at least uh, thought through an idea for the the location you'll be adventuring in and the kind of hooks to the adventure. I mean, one of the big things, and I'm sure we'll get more into this, is that you don't want to have... An incredibly rigid story planned out for mm-hmm. your players beforehand, because if you do, then you're going to run into a lot of trouble because they're not generally going to play by that story. They're not going to.
0: Which in some ways makes it m- more of a challenge than writing a straightforward story, because yeah, you need oh to, yeah, you need to anticipate. It's um, both more and less. Yeah, and, yeah, and you yeah, need so to have some contingency plans, like possibilities. yeah. Right? yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: The, it's interesting. The original, like some of the original terminology around this and the way that. Um, dungeon master as a role was originally conceived of was as referee versus Hmm. narrator which is like so referee as someone as the idea of you're the arbiter of the rules you're the person who decides what's fair in the game so if you know if everyone has input into whether a given um, action is fair that's going to be chaos because everyone has different agendas and everyone um is going to have different interpretations of the rules and things like that, because in these games, you can't have a rule for everything. So it's the the referee's judgment that's key to making the game run smoothly. Um, you know, if a player asks to do something and then they roll for it, then the, the referee interprets the results of that roll and decides whether... Um, that action is successful, or whatever you know, whatever within the like. If you're, um, it doesn't have to be based on dice. It might be you're having a conversation with a non-player character. Well, the referee is the person to determine whether you, um, you know, get what you want out of that conversation. Maybe you're trying to persuade a guard to get in somewhere, or you're trying to get someone to divulge a secret or something. The referee is the one who kind of decides um, whether whether that action works. So the the idea of fairness is kind of built in the role of Dungeon Master. And it's only in a sense more recently and I I don't mean like the last few months, I mean the last couple decades (laughs) um, that the idea of the Dungeon Master as a kind of narrator has become more and more prominent. As someone who has like a vision for the campaign as a whole with story arcs, more like a director on a TV series Mm -hmm. or something like the showrunner. Like that idea is a more new idea and it kind of speaks to Um, like the tension between the different poles of um, what role-playing games are. Um, Like there's a common methodology which has some problems to it, um, but that's been proposed, which is um, so-called GNS, which is uh, gamism, uh, narrativism, and simulationism. So like these are the three (laughs) different impulses of a role-playing game. Like there are some players who, where there's an aspect to the game, a layer to the game that's a game. It's very much about, um, thinking tactically, about making a set of decisions strategically within the context of a game, like you would in yeah. Catan, or something like, like
1: that. Like, that's what, what gamers call crunch, right?
2: Yeah, sure, like crunch, as in as opposed to fluff. Like crunch as in the hard numbers, building a good character, deciding what move is the right move in a given situation. You know, the sort of, the gamey parts of it, the parts of it that look more like a board game. Then there's the narrative impulse, which is more like, players playing their characters, deciding on a good story, um, trying to inject the game full of drama and um, kind of energy. And I mean, obviously, this has been a core part of role-playing games since their inception in a lot of ways. Yeah, you need
0: that part, or you're just rolling dice against each other. Yeah, you're just,
2: I mean, um, Arkham Asylum is a great example of something that's a lot like a role-playing game, but doesn't really have a narrative in the same sense. Like, Mm -hmm. you could role-play Arkham Asylum, I suppose, if you really wanted. Um, And I think some people I've heard do. But it's not an assumption of the game that you do that, you know? And Whereas it's an an assumption of a role-playing game that there's some kind of narrative. And then the third uh, pole, or sort of locus or element, is uh, uh, simulationism, um, which tends to be the idea of um, creating a world and that world behaving in some sort of, if not realistic, then very similar way. You know, Mm -hmm. a way... That makes it seem real. So this is, um, you know, people talk about immersion and, um, you know, a feeling that the place you're interacting with is a real place. And that's obviously at odds with um, a narrativist uh, style, which is, you know, going to privilege things that make more sense in terms of the drama of the world like you know sometimes there might be something that re- would be really cool within a story that might violate the verisimilitude of the world and so different people will have different answers as to whether or not that's kind of okay and it depends on your priorities as a group i'm
0: absolutely seeing elements of all three of these in the in that sort of in the system that i'm yeah. using and the mm-hmm. instructions that i'm using to you know put this game together the idea of just being an arbiter though yeah kind of stresses me out yeah to be honest because I mean, I guess you, you would have to just have all of the environments and what's in them ready. Yeah. As opposed to knowing sort of what's going to happen.
2: And that, that like, is... Which that's is, how which the is old interesting, school, yeah. That's how the old school gaming worked, yeah. right? You got a dungeon, and that was essentially a static place. And then it was full of things. And the referee... And if characters
0: did certain things, then right. those things would react. That's, right. That's actually not... Um, at all the way that the narrator's guide for the system that we're working with lays out how to put a story together. But actually, I kind of like it. (laughs) it, Yeah, and
2: tellingly, within the Star Trek role-playing game, the DM is called the narrator, Mm -hmm. not the referee. And the
0: the sessions are called episodes. Yeah, (laughs) so
2: it's taking its cues, I mean, specifically, very self-consciously from television Mm -hmm. in that regard. Yeah. I'm curious to hear more about, like, your first, because this is... You know, the first time you've ever done this, but you've role-played a lot now, like for years now as a player. Yeah. So was there anything really unexpected or was um, there? Did you? Are you enjoying it?
0: I am enjoying it. I'm definitely also finding it stressful mm-hmm. um, because you know you need to have certain details at your disposal, and I'm learning the system at the same time. Yeah. But I actually, I think, um, at the beginning, it would have really freaked me out to just do like a like. There's an environment and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways, that's actually probably more detailed work than the work that I've been doing. Mm-hmm but i'm more now that i've now that i've done some sessions with you guys i'm more inclined to move more towards that to having yeah. environments for you to explore and things in those environments to react to you as opposed to having um like a plot web i guess or having environments rather than having characters that are doing certain things right i mean yeah. like in the current part of the story that you're in the action is very much being driven by like the actions of a particular person and also the actions of like a particular celestial body, right? Right. Both of which are being controlled by me. And so I do feel like I'm sort of hurting you a little and I, I, I'd like to step away from that, but it's scary to step away from that. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I mean, the classic term for that is railroad, right? right? Or, Or that's when that's sort of the negative version of that. Um, when, um, the DM, um, I'm probably usually going to use the term DM to refer to the the game master um, just because that's like the classic, most Mm well-known. But there's lots and lots Mm -hmm. of different terms. Mm -hmm. Um, But when the DM essentially, um, with or without being explicit about it, kind of asserts narrative control over the players, like puts things in their way or essentially forces them to do certain things, Mm -hmm. which is sort of like, missing the point of a role-playing game. Like the, yeah. role, the point of a role-playing game is that your players have agency as their characters. Um, and the limits you set are the limits of the world, not necessarily the limits of how you feel the story should go.
0: Well, it also sounds like having, having an environment rather than characters driving your narration is yeah. also probably going to organically provide more opportunities for more characters to do more things. Potentially. Um, whereas I do feel like so far, again, because it's been so linear, there have been yeah maybe certain things that certain characters are better at than others, but really you've been acting sort of as yeah. a group. Yeah.
2: I mean, I don't think you've railroaded though. And I think there's a difference between having a basically linear narrative and having a railroad. Because hmm. mm-hmm. if you have a railroad, that basically implies that there's only one way forward. Whereas what you've done more is like, if you like, a series of tracks, if you want to extend the metaphor. Um, There's different ways we could go. Like, in the current scenario we're playing, we just, um, our characters just, we're the bridge crew of a starship, like an intrepid class starship, like Voyager, for those that know the series. And we just diverted a comet, um, a big, gigantic comet, from hitting a, a planet of sort of roughly 18th century era aliens. But we could have not done that if we'd wanted. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, or we
1: could have failed.
2: We could have failed to do it. There was a serious possibility that the comet would have broken up, and you know, bits of it would have destroyed the landmass. Uh, there were multiple solutions. You know, we could have, and there were multiple priorities. Like, we could have decided before we even went down to the surface, because we all went down to the surface before we dealt with the comet. Mm-hmm. We could have decided, no, we're going to deal with this comet first, or you know, we could have had. A trigger happy engineer like my wife. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, like blow it up with uh, photon torpedoes you know, or something like that. Or, you know, we Ooh. could have we could have mutinied yeah, and become that's space true. pirates. That's true. Like know? there was
0: there was this core thing and there were these possibilities around it. But yeah, but yeah it did and, and I mean that's that maybe brings us to the idea of creating your own story versus using pre-made stories, which I've yeah. been doing yeah. sort of a combination of and this thing with the comet. Has mostly been drawn from a pre-made adventure. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things is, if you are thinking about starting uh, starting an RPG for you and some friends or for a library program,
1: you don't necessarily have to start from ground that's zero. Right. There are a lot of pre-made adventures that uh, that you can that you can I play. I really with.
0: wanted to, and I did at first, and then I was working six days a week, yeah. and I was like, Google See, is my friend. I think
2: exactly. Like that's why pre-made adventures exist. I mean, one of the one of the ways to approach um, a group is to decide, okay, is it that everyone. Will wants to play and we decide who's the game master because someone has to be or is it that someone really wants to be the game master and create it like if you're if you really want to be the game master then kind of the fun is in creating this world Mm -hmm. and setting challenges and then sort of watching everyone else um react to them and you might bring in pre- uh, pre made adventures, you know, for reasons of time or because you think a particular idea is really cool mm-hmm. or anything like that. But there are lots and lots of groups where we, people just want to play. And so a game master gets selected more or less arbitrarily or whoever minds it the least, or even some groups rotate. They'll have one game master one week and another and another. Um, and pre made adventures and things like that are really, really, really useful in those situations. And there's tons of them, mm-hmm. tons and tons, many of them free. Um, others available for, like, you can purchase PDFs for five to ten bucks, stuff like that. I mean, one of the
0: things that I really appreciated about the game that you ran for us um, was the fact that because you were doing, I'm assuming mostly or all original writing... Yeah, uh, that uh, in, in a world that that already existed but, that's right but the story itself was that you could really pick up on the collaborative storytelling element of it where we had all created these characters and we had written backstories for them yeah. and as they evolved um, you were able to sort of draw on the backstories or draw on things that we did and, yeah. and incorporate that into your story which is a challenge that I am gonna that I'm relishing now that I've sort yeah. of yeah.
2: I try to do a this comfortable. when you obviously pre-made adventures can't do this unless they also have pre-made characters yeah. which is I don't... I mean, there are some games that have done interesting things with pre-made characters where it's almost more like a murder mystery night where you're mm-hmm. essentially given a character and right. this is the character you're going to play. But I think a lot of the fun of role-playing games is coming up with your own character. And yeah, just dis- yeah. And, you know, often it's someone very different from you which is kind of the fun of
0: it. <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: I think my character is quite different than me, maybe.
0: <laughs> I hope so.
2: But, you know, but also a character that, like, relates to salient aspects of your personality or, like, a, you know, that you you feel you can play or a mm-hmm. challenge to play. So I was nodding you know. not
0: at you, but at myself with Belric, but yeah, <laughs> totally, <laughs> yeah, Belric is, totally is like
2: your id. This is Sam's <laughs> character in, in my game is like, like, a pint-sized version of your desires and, like, crazy impulses <laughs> made into one person. Well,
0: eat and screw just about anything. Eat, yeah. <laughs> Often in that order. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, opposite order. <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> yeah, no, you do get, you get to be a little more flamboyant about certain things and yeah. a little more kind of... Um, impulsive was the way I went with it and it's interesting to watch people not do that like to take on the more sort of conservative roles my my character is extremely not impulsive yeah like um, she's the
1: one who always has to have a very detailed plan often you know, with uh, you know things like um, so, like we were on a uh, we were on a steamboat full of vampires, yeah. and John has actually told me how annoyed he is that oh uh, he God. let me do this. But um, so vampires <sighs> can't in this universe they can't cross the salt they, lines.
2: They were like leech vampires because yeah. I wanted a different because. Obviously, bat vampires have been done to death. So yeah. I was like, "Well, what's another blood-sucking creature?" And I was setting it in sort of a Louisiana-esque swamp environment. And mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, a leech vampire." It was very yeah. Fever
0: Dream. It was yeah. very.
2: It was based loosely on Fever Dream. It was mm-hmm. almost an adaptation of Fever Dream <laughs> yeah, in some yeah. ways. Um, but, you know, I wanted some unique, um, which is a George R. R. Martin novel for those yeah. that don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you can read my thoughts in it in and publish <laughs> the article. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. But um, <laughs> yeah, so instead of, um, you know, the, the old uh, garlic, I was like, oh, well, salt because leeches hate salt.
1: Yeah, but mm-hmm.
2: this led to
1: Allie so I was in the stores. Yeah, uh, so I was like, so there's there's salt we can use, and John was like, yeah, yeah, you can line the things with salt, and I'm like, okay, so we're in a steamship. Clearly, they have to do make repairs at some point. Is there some kind of epoxy or resin or something? And John was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah, there's epoxy. I'm like, okay, yeah. so we're gonna glue the salt to the floor.
2: Because <laughs> so in my mad. original version, like um, I I had always envisioned <laughs> that clever players could find salt in the galley of the steamboat and then use that salt to fence off certain areas, like to protect their cabins or something like that. But I also had workarounds planned for the vampires, like um, they could dominate uh, crew members and then get the crew members to sweep the salt away, for Mm -hmm. example. This was like a classic way of, uh, because they can mentally uh, control people, like hypnotize people. But as soon as Allie figured out that you could glue (laughs) salt down, which is something I completely didn't think of, all of my like this is a classic example of why you can't um you can't have a story uh planned out too closely because your players will wreck it um and if you get frustrated about that you're kind of missing the point yeah um so I mean I didn't have a, a really strict plan but I did have things that I you know intended the vampires to most likely do but that completely thwarted it and actually made that kind of leg of the journey much much easier in a certain way mm-hmm. um, or once you'd figure that out it became really so yeah you, I think
1: I was just motivated that I just wanted to get out of there yeah.
0: <laughs> and this, so this is interesting again because this really does show the difference between our two characters because yeah. at that moment I believe Belric was seducing one of the vampires yes, uh, uh, for vampire. information <laughs> yep. so, so tell us which which, which was more annoying, the gluing down of the salt, or the Belric becoming a vampire? I, I,
2: I liked I liked <laughs> Belric becoming a vampire because I really like it when um, uh, players uh, like do things that totally change their character, you know? And I put a lot of things in my games where that can happen. Like, I'm <laughs> always doing stuff where, like, your alignment randomly switches. Yeah. Sierra Alignment episode, for more details. Um, <laughs> like, or, you know, things that, like, um, Rob in our game is a werewolf now, and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, I love stuff like that, where people get shape-changed, or... Um, and when I'm a player, which sometimes I get to be a player, uh, like in uh, Sam's game. Yeah. I almost said Delric's game. That's kind of freaky. <laughs> in Sam's game, uh, like when, when I'm a player, I like um, when. Um, terrible things happen like I'm a masochist mm. as a, mm-hmm. a player I like it when awful things happen to my characters you sort of
0: really alter the character that's yeah. really interesting
2: and I, but I don't necessarily want to like encourage my character to do <laughs> those things like I might want to be trying to protect my character but I love it when those things happen to my characters like when they lose an arm or
0: interesting. like get a terrible disease here. or something
2: well this is so. why I'm playing a trill because it's basically a do over button if you die
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of brings us to an interesting question that we kind of come up with at the top as well as so, different kinds of DMs, different kinds of players. Um, so, like, what are, what are some different kind of, like, types of DMs? We've talked a little bit about mm. kind of balancing the story, the crunch, the well, the crunch and fluff, right? Yeah. Oh, that sounds really, that sounds like something you do on a porn It
2: stuff. does a little weird, does it? Yeah. <laughs>
1: i don't want to know yeah but like the first part means
2: oh yeah so some
1: dms like i know i happen to know that you tend to prepare a lot of material very impressive really yeah (laughs) but you know like Uh. we've also played about you know an hour worth of a game where i was just improving it from from the ground up and so some you know so Maybe some people may be intimidated by the idea that you have to prepare so many notes and so much material that mm-hmm. may not get used because your characters your characters may dick you over. Yeah. but like, so what other kinds of like DMs? Yeah, have you encountered? Are there better ways to approach it or That's an interesting kind of question. what yeah, your I'm comfort level I'm certainly not preparing are. as
0: much as you had prepared for no. our games. I think. I think I still want to do more work in terms of the environments, but I think yeah. I'm also really enjoying the sort of improv aspect of it. Um, yeah. Where I know the environs like generally and I can describe them to you. And as I get to know the rules better, yeah, I have a better handle on sort of what you can do and what should happen as a result of what people roll and yes. things like that. But yeah. Um, but, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm improvising a little more than maybe I should be. <laughs> well, I
2: wouldn't, I wouldn't say there's any, like, should be. Like, I don't think there's any prescriptive way to run it. So you can improvise a lot. I was going to say that one of the big advantages you have is that you're playing in the Star Trek universe. Mm-hmm. Like So, effectively, if you take a, a map of the Alpha Quadrant and then Memory Alpha, which is, like, a wiki dedicated to Star Trek, mm-hmm. you kind of have your entire universe already. Like, if yeah. they go to a system, you just look up what's in that system... And it kind of already exists. That
0: would be such an interesting kind of like anarchic way to do this game. Sure. Actually. I
2: mean, but you know, like, in you know, maybe... Anarchic,
0: I guess, in the context of what the books are telling me to do. Right. <laughs> yeah.
2: But you know, like, if, say, there's a conflict in another um, part of the quadrant and we need to get there, I mean, presumably there, there'll be a number of different routes we can take. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we might end up stopping somewhere. And if that happened, you, you wouldn't have nothing because you could bring it up out of the internet basically yeah yeah absolutely. it's such a well-documented universe yeah. and i kind of had that with um the game i was playing because i had a whole bunch of source books because the basically the game we were playing was set in these different planes of existence sort of like heaven and hell are, are two of them but actually it's like there's also the norse myth world and the greek myth world and um like all these other different like the plane that's entirely made of fire and all that stuff mm-hmm. um and i have books that sort of talk about all of those locations so i have an idea of what all those places are so i guess for uh, especially for neophyte uh, dms like playing in an established setting can be really useful if, if you don't want to prepare a lot um, because it means that you have a huge wealth of material already drawn um, whereas if you're you know um, don't have a. If you're building your own world, then you have to potentially do a lot more preparation because you have to think things and you through. You might
0: want the scale to be smaller at that point.
2: Yeah, right? I mean, you might really like want. The we were scale just to all praising the
0: storytelling of Daredevil, which takes place in a you know twenty block yeah. radius, right? Yeah, which is yeah. great.
2: I mean, the problem is that you don't. You want to avoid the kind of like invisible wall syndrome that you yeah. see in video games. You know, because yeah. you don't want like maybe the characters do decide to leave the city or, or that, you know, like maybe um, Matt Murdock goes on vacation or like goes and consults <laughs> in Chicago or something. Yeah, that
0: can't just be white space. Yeah, that can't be, <laughs>
2: exactly. So I think um, I, my advice would be that, um, you know, if you feel comfortable improvising, then imp- improvise away. Do it, and if you're good at it, um, then go for it. But, you know, prepare, feel like, pre- prep what you need. Prep what you really think Um, will be used and Mm -hmm. then the rest of it is just kind of um extra really
0: yeah because if you already have the basic setting then if people go off in a direction you weren't expecting you can probably populate that direction
2: yeah potentially (laughs) Yeah. yeah
1: so different types of dms have different levels of preparation uh different kind of storytelling styles of course i'm sure is a big part of it but there's also like you know you're gonna have to deal with a lot of different kinds of players too right like you can't necessarily control what these Mm -hmm. people are going to do with your world. So like, what are, what are some like difficult types of players and how do you try to deal with that? Or how do you try to deal with people who maybe aren't so into the game? Like, how do you, how do you
0: tell, can I go first? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Just because we were just talking about this earlier, a dear, dear friend of ours who is playing this, or was playing this Star Trek game with us until uh, recently he was at the session yesterday. Um, is really into these kinds of games like and and ha- and read the manuals for this game before I even started putting the game together but doesn't know a ton about Star Trek and yeah. it hasn't been that part so much as the part where like he's 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 really he's asking me for more information than I have which has been a really interesting challenge yeah like he's really he's really into the crunch of it basically <laughs> and um and I as a narrator am not and so there've been times where I like I have a certain amount of information prepared and then I give it to you guys and then yeah, More is asked for it. I'm like, no, that you don't understand. That's what you get.
2: Yeah, <laughs> like, I think being- which I
0: guess you know I need to take that on and be like, the computer tells you that there is no additional information. You've on done this a planet, pretty good right? job,
2: like- I think. I mean, you've done a very good job with that. But I think you do like that's a thing you need to learn as a as a DM is to be really firm with players who are. Um, just being firm about what the world has. being mm-hmm. authoritative basically, um, it's a position of authority. Like you're yeah. in a, you have authority over what's in the world. Gen- I mean there are some games that grant some of that authority to players in, in interesting ways like that let them temporarily take control of the narrative or um, decide on certain secrets or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, if you're playing in a traditional game with a, a pretty strict player DM division, then you, you kind of are the final say in stuff,
0: yeah, which <laughs> is especially when you're playing with your friends who until recently were yeah. your you know party companions instead of your players yeah. is an interesting switch to make. Yeah. But I mean a, but you must find it at least a little easier just because of experience to deal with, car- with players who are really into the crunch, right? Um,
2: yeah, somewhat. I guess I've never had someone who's completely all about it. Mm-hmm. I, so I've been relatively lucky. Um, although I have seen fights over crunch. Like, um, oh, I want that magic item. No, I want that magic item. <laughs> and then, you know, players starting to I backstab feel like we one
0: came another. near to that a couple of times. Really?
1: <laughs> I can't think of
2: anything that mm-hmm. was too bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel like there's things, there's like problematic items that some of you guys don't want the other people to have because <laughs> you don't trust
1: each other. <laughs> But like the, the telepathy
0: helmet the flesh corset yeah. oh god, yeah, that's that so gross
2: yeah the telepathy helmet is what i was thinking of <laughs> yeah that's um, true yeah there have been but,
0: some like fights over that but those fights have driven the story forward yeah those, so. are,
2: those don't feel those feel less like i want this for my character to make them good and more like
0: my character I don't, wants this because he's crazy
2: yeah, yeah or like i don't want that character to be able to read my thoughts at this moment you know <laughs> yeah. um but yeah in terms of problematic players or, or like trying to figure out like different types of players and stuff I'd say the first thing if you're new to um, running a game is to have few players do not let eight people join your game <laughs> do, like at, if you're starting mm-hmm. just have three or four that's a good number um, like having just one can be I've played in games with just one player or I've played in games that have more multiple players and then one player kind of goes off and you have a sort of side session with them. And that can be fun, but it can also be really awkward, especially if you're both new to it. Mm-hmm. So having three to four people is like a good number and a, a, a good amount. But if you have too many, then you do run the risk of having really bored players.
0: Which I think, and again, coming back to the fact that our game has been pretty linear so far, has been happening a little, and I'm aware of it. It's <laughs> not been too
2: no. bad. I mean, I'm the counselor, uh, so I have the most reason to be bored of anyone, I think, uh, and I haven't been too bored. Awesome. I found yeah. things to do.
1: I think I'm probably the main sort of winking at me, what I say, because I'm, I'm one of those players who is completely uninterested in in the kind of gamey element of it. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll do my roles, and but I'm really upset when the things that I want to happen don't happen, or <laughs> you know, yeah. stuff like that, or um, I'm... A-
2: you're what people in the OSR, which is the old school renaissance, would call a filthy narrativist.
1: Like, <laughs> you just want the story to that. progress. I wear that so wholeheartedly on my sleeve. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, fine. If I'm a filthy narrativist, then I'm a filthy narrativist, yeah. Man.
2: <laughs> but yeah, like, I can, I can sense it in our games sometimes. Like, I can tell if you're... if things aren't <laughs> progressing at the speed at which you'd like, for example, or if you feel like um, your character is not getting a chance to contribute, or something, which is a big problem. Like that's that's a huge part of both adventure design and being running a good game, is giving everyone a thing to do within the adventure first of all, um, and second of all, to recognize um, like if someone's bored, and then acting to remedy it by actively, you know, sometimes even shutting down a player who's over eager and monopolizing your attention in order to. Um, pivot to a player who's, um, you know, obviously wants to be more engaged, but isn't. Mm-hmm. To me, the only one that I really don't know what to do with and the only one that kind of frustrates me, I guess, and it hasn't been much of a problem in our group, um, but is the player who is both bored and doesn't want to play. You know what I mean? The, the completely disengaged player. Hmm. Like, And I've, I, I've more experience with this in games that I've played in as opposed to games that I've DM'd. Like I've seen, for example... Um, players who are on their laptops um, like playing a Morpiger at the same time that Uh, the game is going on um, or something like that and that kind of player um, I just get I feel that's almost not on the DM at that point. It's more like well okay you don't actually want to be here and committing to what we're doing.
0: Yeah because part of alleviating that boredom is on the DM making sure that there are opportunities for that character but part of alleviating that is is on the character to be, or on the player to be, paying attention to what's happening and reacting to it. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. exactly.
2: Yeah. But I think it is important to notice when, especially because people are, have different comfort levels yeah. um, in terms of how assertive they are. Um, this actually gets talked a lot around gender in gaming. I mean, we're lucky mm-hmm. enough to have Uh, mixed to mostly female group which (laughs) has been really cool we're
1: almost hitting gender parity which is a problem we need more women
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah by gender parity she means that like we still have more women than men but (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I mean that's been discussed a lot as that sometimes women feel uncomfortable playing because they might not be as typically or traditionally aggressive as, you know, mm. like, I mean, um, obviously that's a, an overgeneralization and isn't true for a lot of people, but I mean, whether or not one brings gender into it, there are some people who are more assertive than others and who will monopolize the attention of the DM if you let them. So yeah. avoiding that is like being, and in that sense, I think the old term referee actually makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Because Cause you're, you're
0: also, you're sort of moderating or facilitating, right? Yeah. yeah. And
2: it's a weird skill that I don't think everyone's comfortable with. But I think it's a skill everyone can learn, too. So, yeah, there's that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I think um, part of it, too, is that you need to know the rules. Like, I am finding this. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't need to know every single rule in the rulebook, but I need to know how the mechanics work so that when someone wants to do something, I can respond to that right away, right? And I think as a player, actually, I remember that was part of the reason why I decided to be a sorcerer Oh, yeah. Was that I I sort of had the sense that it would maybe be less complicated. Wow, <laughs> really? Ways. I don't kind know like if that's right or not. Then yeah, because I was um, the complicatedness to me was the math of it, right? Okay. Was the like adding you know like weapon bonuses and damage oh, and all of this kind of stuff, and the spells are so binary like you hit or you hmm. don't, and then it does the thing it does, right? Right. So that's yeah. interesting. I mean, it might be interesting to talk to your players about that as well as they're choosing their characters, right?
2: Yeah, that's true. I mean and that'll that'll be partly system dependent. Mm. You know, some systems that might be there might be a higher level of math competence required than other systems. Although I, I don't think there's any game out there that if you have a calculator and time you will become so frustrated with that you can't calculate it in your head. But that is a part of being a DM is knowing when you don't know the rule. You don't really have time to look the rule up and it's time to just make a ruling and like yeah. say screw it. Like
0: And that's part of the knowledge of the system too is improvising those things. And like I've been doing that a bit with you guys because thankfully among the ten thousand tables, there's a table that just has like target numbers on it. Yeah. And so if I really don't know what you should be rolling against for something, I you just, just use pick that. Pick a number on that table.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So just being able to I'm making up rules on the fly is just an important part of the game because there's not a rule for everything. There's just not. You, you could never fill a rule book yeah. that extensively. So. Yeah.
0: Maybe we should wrap up by talking about sort of like, this all sounds really complicated and kind of hard to like start mm. doing. So wh- why do it? Like, why do you enjoy doing this so huh, much?
2: That's an interesting question. <laughs> I enjoy it, but... <laughs> yeah. Why do I like role-playing or why yeah, do I or like, like why? why Yeah, well...
0: I guess in the context of DMing, that's sort of what, what do you get out of it, especially as a DM?
2: Hmm. Yeah. That's a really fascinating question. I mean, I like world building, mm. so I like creating, I like the activity that goes, the the prep itself is enjoyable to me. as like a kind of inherent pleasure. Mm-hmm. Like I've prepped things that I've never run. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I also like people puzzling through a challenge I've set them or a situation I've set them and I I like watching other people enjoy something I've made yeah. that's and that's kind of you don't experience a lot of like even if you're say an author you know and you um write a story and then someone goes off and reads that story. You get
0: to sit there and watch them get yeah. to the twist. Yeah right? yeah, right. You don't.
2: And it wouldn't. And what would that even look like? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, unless they're really dramatic or they're speaking aloud while they're reading. But in when you do something like uh, D&D, it's like you're, you know, you're a game designer. You're getting to watch people actually interact with the thing you made. And you're right there creating it in a sense as they yeah. as they do it. So that's kind of an unusual pleasure, I think. Like... Hmm. Um, to watch someone grapple with a situation that you've come up with and work through it, um, and also there's an element of irony, like dramatic irony, I guess. Yeah. Um, in uh, maybe this is a little sadistic, but like in knowing that there's something uh, coming uh, that they haven't anticipated that you're going to spring on them, or um, that you know things that they don't, yeah. and that they're trying to figure out those things. Yeah. Uh, that's fun, I think. Um, and watching them try to think through the situation you've set is a lot mm-hmm. of fun. How about you though? What did you think? Um,
0: I mean, yeah, I would. I would second a lot of that. Um, it's definitely. I mean, I enjoy writing, and I don't do much of it anymore. And so, mm. getting to do some of that here has been really interesting. Yeah. and Getting to do it in this sort of, you know, half prepared, half lazy improvisational way has been really fun. That's how everyone but, does um, it. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think you have to. Is what yeah. I'm learning. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think watching people in, enjoy themselves. Um, and being the sort of the moderator of that like um and especially with this game i've been so nervous about it you know being boring or not being challenging enough or you know stuff being telegraphed from too far away or whatever and so um definitely watching all you guys like work on the comet together and actually get really into it yeah was really enjoyable yeah yeah and
2: uh another fun thing uh about dming i think is um, I like it when I've set a scenario or created an adventure, and I have, in my head, there are maybe three or four ways to solve this. Like, there are a bunch of different ways to approach this. But inevitably, your players, because they have brains of their own, and there's a whole bunch of them, and they can collaborate and think through things, will think of some completely different way. Like, the salt thing you were talking about is an example. There's Mm -hmm. lots of examples from our games of times when you guys did something that I would never have thought of. Molotov
1: like, cocktail, a church full of zombie nuns.
2: Sure, yeah. Or
0: Accidentally start a cult.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> stuff like that. Absolutely. Which was you
0: reacting to us, which was really interesting, too. Right? Yeah,
2: and that's yeah. fun, too. Like, that's kind of, it's a bit vertiginous sometimes, but you have to be able, as a GM, the part the part that's fun but also difficult is um, when they do something completely unexpected that essentially derails or wrecks or messes with what you had planned Mm -hmm. then um bracing yourself and deciding okay a does this work how they want it to and am i being fair when i say that and b like what does that mean like how does this change the rest of what they're going to do like i was thinking for example like um in that scenario we just um we just did Like, what would you have done? Because there's a character called Reynolds who we had to capture. Like, what would you have done if someone killed Reynolds? Like, that would have been really bad. Yeah. But interesting, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, or if you had decided to let the planet be destroyed mm-hmm. yeah, that there would have been interesting con- consequences to that too because i'm trying to give you this sort of you know a ship alone feeling to it but you are still in the federation and you yeah. would have let hundreds of millions mm-hmm. of people die like yeah, yeah um, well
2: it would have been arguably the very a very federation thing but not a very star trek thing to do yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, it's interesting actually watching all of your interpretations of something like the Prime Directive and then mine and then the interpretation of the person who wrote that part of the adventure, who wasn't yeah. me in this case. Huh. But yeah, I think vertiginous is a really good like idea, like a way of describing it. And I think if I hadn't had so much experience um, playing as a character yeah. in this sort of really improvisational way, I wouldn't have been as willing to take this on because it is yeah. still quite like it is a real challenge to sort of be right there with your players as they're making those decisions and be brave enough to react to those in interesting ways and sort of take risks. I think
2: what a lot of players don't realize about DMing because their experience of playing is playing as opposed to DMing is how busy the DM is constantly. Mm -hmm. That they are effectively all, even if no one's saying anything, they're probably doing something important. You know what I mean? So, and like, you have to constantly be speaking for probably two to three hours.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your multitasking skills will get better. Like I yeah. remember in the first session you were playing music cause I had completely forgotten about the music and now I'm at the point where I'm able to be like, oh, they're walking into the church. Yep. Google church Done. music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm curious, Allie. Uh, how we differ as dms yeah, I, mean, I don't sure. i don't like, mean this in a, uh, like which of us is end. better or
1: <laughs> <laughs> i i'm not sure how at all. is the experience different but
2: i'm I mean, cool. sure it yeah. is i mean part yeah. of it's the games but um it's basically the same group of people though so
1: yeah so john is always very um very detail or oriented about uh descriptions of places uh mm-hmm. where we are like when we walk into a street in Sigal he's got like probably two or three hundred words describing what kind of vendors are there, what kind of buildings are there, what are they what kind of vines are the buildings covered. like the descriptions of things are so mm-hmm. detailed. Really beautifully done. Uh really beautifully done. But um but like Sam, I feel like you um The dialogue that you create between NPCs and the characters um, you're always extremely emotive with it like you you kind of become the NPCs that you're trying to oh
0: good because I felt like I should be doing more voices every time I hear Griffin do do a voice I'm like oh voices I am so
2: bad at voices it's like my it's my weakest in the GM skill set it's my weakest I don't know Burner's
0: got a pretty good voice but I
2: have like three or four voices and that's it (laughs)
0: that's
2: pretty much it like I could and I could attempt more if I was braver like if I really push myself, but inevitably I just sort of let them drop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had some pretty good southern voices uh-huh. for a while.
1: It? <laughs> Thank <But>. you. <laughs> but yeah, so like it, it's interesting to see kind of. Um, I f- but I think that that is, uh, you know, a reaction to the different worlds that we're playing in. So like. Planescape is a place that is really weird and kooky and really does need a lot of description, whereas we kind of already know Star Trek, so yeah. it's more important for us to be attached to these characters and where the narrative is going in Yeah, being I mean in I do way. get to take it's some shortcuts.
0: Point. Like when you were asking me where the nurses were in sickbay I was yeah. able to just say to you, Well, picture the sickbay on Voyager yep. and there's that office around the corner, and like mm-hmm. yeah, I do get to take a shortcut. Yeah, like whereas that, I can't nice.
2: be like, All right, so you guys all know the mortuary of the dustman. All right, so on <laughs> the you know, like no, yeah. you
0: have to do that. So so I, that's a consideration too if you're a new pl- new dm yeah.
2: yeah i think that's where steven ran into tr- sorry we should maybe not maybe in- mention <laughs> <the same. laughs> he won't mind uh where he uh, ran into not trouble but where what you were talking about kind of occurred where he did not he didn't have the same background knowledge that we all had about star trek mm-hmm. so in order to sort of get a better sense of what this was he had to ask a lot of questions yeah. that sometimes you didn't have yeah. like as detailed for sure. answers for and it's a completely understandable impulse like and mm-hmm. you know
0: when you get to know your players as you go, right? And sort of yeah. what they know and mm-hmm. how much they need to, you know, be be pushed a little to go do a thing. And that's, yeah.
2: that's another thing I'll say is, um, like, don't be afraid to play with people you don't know. Um, like, I've done that a lot. And with mixed success, and sometimes it doesn't work out, and you have to be prepared for that. But if you're starting a game in, like, a library or something, put up flyers and... Like, get people to send you emails or Facebook messages or whatever you're, you know, whatever you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can meet people through gaming. Like
0: If they read a flyer that says, hey, want to come play Dungeons and Dragons, and they show up, you've probably got enough yeah, in common to right. get started together, right? <laughs> um,
2: And, you know, like, even through our group of friends, like, not only has role-playing, I think, brought us all closer, it's, like, actually had fundamental effects on the like lives of the people here. Yeah. You think about like roommates that would never have been roommates mm-hmm. had they not been playing D&D together. Yeah, we've got
0: two mm-hmm. sets of those. Yeah. Three sets of those.
2: And, <laughs> you know, all sorts of things like that that have happened because of Rolso, you know, it's a great, it's a, it's a <laughs> wonderful game in, in the way that it... um it's inherently social. Like it is, there's this weird idea somehow, and I don't know how this has developed. That somehow D and D is for antisocial people mm. when it's completely the opposite. You have to be well, it's like very like theory, social. Yeah. To be interested in D and D, and even if you're not a, I think that where it, uh, it it's because you know a lot of the people who play D and D aren't typically social, but they might be more comfortable social when they're like playing elves and dwarves and stuff. Absolutely. So yeah, I think that's that's a part of it. It can be a really good tool for actually meeting people and you know having fun in a social way.
0: Absolutely. That seems like a wonderful place to kind of to wrap, wrap it up. up. Yeah, um, and um, and we'll throw some links, including some links to sort of. Um, there's a great Idea Channel video about what D and D is and how it is social and collaborative. Yeah. um If you one? haven't seen the community episode where they play D and D, like check that out pretty if you want to know more about the game. It's yeah. a pretty good representation. Because Dan Harmon plays
2: D and D a lot, yeah. and he obviously wrote that with like his own experiences in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thanks, John. Oh, Thank you so welcome. much. My pleasure. What a cool
1: talk that was a lot of fun you know it's it's funny John says I learned so much about you well, so I, I learned a lot about him too when he's DMing so. yeah
0: that's one of my favorite parts of doing the show is that yeah. even when we do it with the same people multiple times I always learn new things <laughs> about them and just from them yeah totally <laughs> uh, I felt like that uh, we a bunch of us from the same role playing group went on a road trip the other day and I feel like I learned a lot from you guys driving in the car for two hours too. <laughs> if only we'd recorded that that would have been great <laughs> there was some great discussion of Daredevil in that too um but so yeah i mean as always you can find uh, anything you need to know about the show including notes about some of the things we talked about in this episode uh at sslibrarianship.com If you're interested in buying a button or throwing some shekels our way, you can do that there as well. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Um, And you can always, of
1: course, get in touch with us on Twitter, on Tumblr, however you can uh, get in touch. Um, You can also leave comments on our episodes on the website. So if you're uh, not necessarily listening through a podcatcher or through our RSS feed, you can uh, just chuck us a comment, too. We love Uh, to hear it.
0: Yeah. And so shout out to Terry, who gave us a nice little comment about Allie's new job and that yeah. uh, <laughs> sounds like she's in library school and uh, studying is going to be hard for the next few days because yeah. I mean, uh, we've given her too much to read. That's our <laughs> job. That's totally what, we, what we're we all about here.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, speaking of uh, everyone who's been going to school for the past little while, it's getting to be that time of year where it is the end of term. So um, to everyone who wrapped up a degree, uh, either in library school or in anything else, we just offer you a hearty congratulations. Mm-hmm. You know, school you isn't it. easy. Good job. You've done it. Um, and if you are um, just wrapping up a term, congrats, man, you're one step further there. So mm-hmm. um, so to anyone who's, you know, been in school, struggling through, I mean, April is the cruelest month, um, as was once said by T.S. Eliot? Sure. T.S. Eliot? T.I.? It's
2: definitely...
1: <laughs> okay, yeah. So it's definitely in the wasteland. So um, it's a good pull. um Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Congratulations. Awesome. You did it.
0: Go get a massage. Badass. Binge watch some Daredevil. totes Yeah. Did you deserve it. <laughs> uh, so I guess all that's left, as always, is to thank Jonathan Colton for the use of our theme song "Glasses" off the album "Artificial Heart," and also to remind all you perspective Sea Monkeys that there are like basically no cabins left. So hurry up and book if you haven't yeah. booked already.
1: I'm I'm getting more and more excited every day. It's gonna be awesome. Oh my god. <laughs> Alright guys, that's it for us this week Uh, You will make it through the term We love you And we will catch you on the proverbial flip side